Welcome to the Foundry Church Podcast, helping you to forge a lifelong reliance on God. To find out more about the Foundry Church or how to get involved, visit us at thefoundrychurch.com. Now listen, I was recently reminded of a, um, a friend that my dad had when I was growing up. And get this, right? His name was Woody, and he was an Amish carpenter. Right? I mean, you can't make that up, right? An Amish carpenter named Woody, one of my dad's friends. Is, could there be a perfect name for a carpenter? It's just, all right. Now, look, I was reminded of Woody, and, and Woody being Amish and all, he had a farm with all sorts of animals, all sorts of fun things to do, fun things to look at, really cool tools to work with, and in my case, to break. All right? So dad, my dad, thought it would be fun to take me with him to Woody's farm and to his workshop one day when I was really young, maybe six or seven, somewhere in there. And I remember being super duper excited to see everything as we drove down the long drive to, to Woody's house and to Woody's wood shop. The excitement was just building and building. Get it? No? Woody, wood shop. All right. When we, finally, when we finally reached the house, there were animals everywhere, right, around the house. And I was excited to explore like little boys do at a farm, right? I got out of the car, and no sooner than I was at Woody's house than a huge goose came roaring around the corner. And it was like a standoff at the OK Corral, right? <laughs> It really was. We, we locked eyes with each other, standing there, and it was the meanest, the ugliest, and the angriest looking bird I had ever seen in my short life. And, and I got I to gotta admit, you know that fight or flight response? I'm not proud to say it, but, but I fled, <laughs> right? I took off running, right, all the way back down to the car, and I jumped in the car, I slammed the door, I gasped for air, the stupid goose was chasing me, squawking the whole time. I looked up at my dad, and I said, that's the biggest chicken I've ever seen. <laughs> this is the biggest chicken I've ever seen. <laughs> now, I told that story earlier in the week, and after I told the story, it got me thinking about farms and animals, and chickens in particular, and so here's something that I've learned about chickens in my humble experience with them, usually scrambled. <laughs> I have learned that they are mean. They're mean, right? Not like geese, not like that goose on the farm, right? Geese are our vicious territorial dinosaurs that will attack anything that gets in their way. On the other hand, chickens are pretty nice to people, but they're horrible to each other. Have you ever heard of this term? Take a look. Have you ever heard of this? The pecking order? Right? The, the pecking order? That, that term actually comes from chickens. Right? When you get a group of chickens together, they will very quickly place themselves in order from top down. It's just what they do. And the order is based literally on pecking. They, they peck at each other over and over again. So if you go to the website, modernfarmer.com, not farmersdate.com, a totally different thing, I made that mistake. <laughs> if you go to modernfarmer.com, if you go there, you'll learn about these mean chickens and their strict social pecking order. Right? It says this, because I actually spent time this week reading this. <laughs> Bigger, stronger, and more aggressive chickens 
bullied their way to the top of the flock by pecking, right? Like we said, pecking the others into submission with their pointy beaks. First, they, they strut about, right? They strut about, fluff their feathers, and they squawk. But if that doesn't get the point across, they peck. They peck, right? The website stated that it can get violent. Sometimes blood is drawn, and occasionally the opponent, the weaker one, is actually killed. Foundry Church, I had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea that chickens were so mean. I don't know if you did, but I sure didn't, right? Those cute little fluffy chickens can turn into vicious pecking machines in an instant. And so they can have access to the, the food first or that they can have the fluffiest straw bed before anyone else. <laughs> and they don't care who they have to peck to make it happen. Right? They, they just don't care. And so here is my guess, and this is, this is going to be deep here for a second, Right, here's my guess, Foundry Church. Some of you are working in a place or are in a place in your life where it feels like you're getting pecked to death. Right? And you feel like you're at the bottom of the, the pecking order. You go into the office and your boss is there or somebody who thinks they're the boss and they're strutting around and they're, they're fluffing their feathers and you are just waiting for that next blow to come your way. Or maybe you're on the top, right? Maybe you're the, the rooster that's on the top of that pecking order and staying up at the top of the pecking order. Well, that's going to take some serious strutting around, some serious energy. And listen, no one is immune to this, this pecking order, not even at home, right? We, we peck for control. We peck for our own wants and desires. We peck in our community for order and placement and on and on, right? The pecking order. At every turn, there is someone vying to be in charge, vying for the, the head of the table, the position of honor, vying for the, the place of, uh, to be seen, to be the boss, whatever it is. Like I was at a, a meeting recently for pastors down in Richmond a few weeks ago, and we weren't even immune to this pecking order thing. Right? Most of the discussion at this meeting of, of pastors from around the state, the, the questions that were being asked was, where do you pastor? What is your position? How many people attend your church? How big is your staff? Or, or some even asked, how big is your budget? Right? I saw pastors and missionaries and church workers pecking and lining up. In order, right? the, the truth is no one is immune to this pecking order, to hierarchy, or becoming the best of the best, or, or getting to the top, being the CEO, the uh, Olympic champion, the manager at all costs. And that's what it is. Right? That's the problem. It's, it's at all costs. Right, with no one else in mind. And that is the, that's the problem. That is the tension that we need to peel like an onion this morning here at the Foundry Church. Right, from before we can even remember, at nearly every turn, we are getting indoctrinated with the idea that being a, a leader means getting the gold star first and getting the most no matter what it costs. 
no matter who we hurt in the process. Leadership, uh, we think, is a form of recognition, a kind of uh, accomplishment, the, the path to privilege. Being declared a leader, being the, the top of the pecking order is like winning an award or being identified among the gifted as the most gifted. Right? We have been led to believe that leadership equals success. Right? That it equals privilege. That it, that it equals not answering to anyone. And then, right, you, you come to the foundry. And you hear about our current series of sermons, follow, right? And you think, dude, what gives, right? And why follow when I can lead, when I'm supposed to lead? That's what society's telling me at all costs, uh, when I'm supposed to be the person doing the pecking over and over and getting people to follow me. Now, here's the truth. Right, the, this whole time, over the last seven weeks, we have been talking about following Jesus, following him, forging our life on him, uh, authentically, what that really, really means. And we've been looking at the Gospels to learn how to do this. And we have just made this huge assumption over the last seven weeks, and we've never really even thought about it, right? We made this huge assumption. Take a look, right? If we're going to follow Jesus, he must be a leader worth following, right? If we're going to follow him, if we're going to forge our life on him, he must be a leader worth following. We just have made that assumption. Now, let me explain. All right, most of us, when we think about Jesus, when we think about him, we don't think about Jesus in terms of, of leadership, do we? We really don't. Right? We don't think of Jesus at the top of the pecking order and everyone else just behind him. Him pecking and getting us behind him. We think about Jesus in terms of being a religious figure. We don't think great leader right off the bat. Because great leaders are all about the future. Or so we've been told, right? And religion is usually thought about in the, in the past. You know, like, like what did they do back then? Or what mistakes were made? Or, or what did the people in this old book did? What did they do? What can we learn from it right, way back then? Right, leadership, on the other hand, is all about growing things. It's about the future, about making a difference. It's about changing things. Now, religion, right, unfortunately, is not usually uh, about changing anything. And sometimes church culture is actually sort of an anti-leadership culture. But here is the thing, right? Here's the thing. Jesus was an actually extraordinary leader. The best there ever was, right? And he does not just want us to have a religion. He wants us to forge our life on him. He wants us to be like him. And if he was the greatest leader there ever was, we too should be leaders. So today, we're going to look at a passage where Jesus actually gives us his secret to great leadership. And I'm going to give you a hint right off the bat. It has nothing to do with chickens or living in and through a pecking order, or, or strutting around, or trying to be the first with the mostest, right? So if you have your Bible, and if you want, turn with me to the book of Mark. The book of Mark is where we're going to start. Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 34. Now, if you don't have a Bible, use the Bible that are in the seats in front of you. Um, use those Bibles. Turn to Matthew, Mark, the second book, book of the New Testament. Mark chapter 10, or you can download the Foundry Burke app. 
at your favorite app store. It's free. And click the Bible tab, and it's already pulled up there for you. Mark chapter 10. Follow along with me. We're going to be in this quite a bit here today. So as you turn there, let me serve you up some context, like Tom Cruise playing beach volleyball here. Mark is one of the gospel writers. Right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. He's one of the gospel writers. Mark was not one of Jesus' disciples. Mark was actually someone who knew Peter, and we think that all of Mark's contact came from his conversations with the disciple Peter, uh, who, of course, was an eyewitness of all these things, all these events of Jesus' life. All right, so Mark chapter 10, we kind of pick up as Jesus, our Lord, and his disciples are headed for the city of Jerusalem, the triumphal entry, like the kids are talking about today, Palm Sunday, and a little bit of a repeat of what we had found last couple of weeks as Jesus tries to explain to his disciples that things are not going to go as well as they had in the past. That's that's kind of what's happening here. Uh, Jesus is explaining to his disciples that some difficult times are almost upon them. So Mark chapter 10, here's what it says. Start in verse 32 with me. It says, they were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. And that fear was in reference to something that had just happened. All right, so verse 32, and again, as in Jesus had just done this before, right, and again, he took the 12 aside and he told them what was going to happen to him. All right, listen, (laughs) if you were here the last couple of weeks, you'll remember that Jesus keeps trying to explain to his disciples, look, it's been great, but it's not going to stay great. We've been on the pinnacle of success and popularity, and that is about to change. And here is Jesus trying to do that yet again, to explain this to his disciples. So so he says this, right? Verse 33, we are going, we're going to go to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man, which is just the name he's given himself, talking about himself, he says the Son of Man will be delivered over the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. The Gentiles, that would be the Romans, the the non-Jewish people. Then verse 34 says, they'll hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, talking about himself in third person again. And on the third day, he will rise. Right now, This is like a good buddy-to-buddy, I-got-you type of moment that Jesus is having with his disciples. This group of guys are on their way to Jerusalem, and Jesus is saying, when we get to Jerusalem, here is what's going to happen. (laughs) Again, right? When that happens, I don't want you to be surprised. Right? He's, he's trying to have their back. Right? He says, don't be surprised. Don't be scared. When we get to Jerusalem, it's not going to be like the other times. We're not going to kind of be cool and hanging out and people will follow us. Right? When, we, when we get there, and after some time, it's going to get kind of rough. So I want to make sure you're all in, that, that you're ready. 
right? This is a, a huddle before the big game type of situation. He's saying, get your game face on, guys, because we're going into this, and it's going to be a hard time. It's going to be rough. Jesus is saying, I'm going to get arrested. I'm going to get spit on. I'm going to be flogged and beaten and killed. And on the third day, I will rise. And then Mark, he tells us this, like, right then, Right after that, after Jesus said those things, like the very next thing, verse 35, take a look at it with me in your Bible. It says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us, do us whatever we ask. We want you to do for, what, for us whatever we ask. We want you to do us a favor. And it's like, dude, really? Like, dude, come on, right? I, these guys, James and John, really? When we read this, we want to go, idiot. Hey, seriously, guys, like, they, shouldn't, they shouldn't call you, their nickname is the Sons of Thunder. Right? We should call them the Sons of Not Being Able to Read a Room. <laughs> right? That's what we should call them. It's like they, they are saying, yeah, man, yeah, Jesus, sorry about all the, the spitting, about all the flogging and all the, the beating and stuff. But hey, will you do us a favor? Can you do us a solid? Really? I mean, come on, right? Now, parents and grandparents, you're going to understand this right away. Right? I'm sure that you've had this type of moment where you have had this intimate, very sweet and emotional encounter, uh, this talk with your kids. Right? Maybe you were at the dinner table, or maybe they were little and you're, you're kneeling by their bed and you're tucking them in, or you're, you're kind of close, right up into their face, sitting knee to knee, you're looking eye to eye, and you say, son, never forget. Or, or honey, always remember to. Right? And, and it's a real tender moment. And, and once you're done talking about whatever it is, you say, now, do you have any questions, honey? And you look at their big, beautiful eyes, and they're so quiet, and they're leaning in. It's so tender. It's so sweet. And they say, hey, dad. Do you know that when you talk, one side of your mouth does this and the other side does that? And that's kind of weird. Right? They say something stupid like that. They ruin the sweet, tender moment. Right? All your parents and grandparents, you know what I'm talking about. Right? They ruin that moment with something stupid. Right? It's like that. Right? Jesus and his disciples, he just poured out his heart. And he's saying, this is what's happening. And this is going to be the salvation of not just for you, but for all mankind, for humankind, for, for the future, right? And they're like, hey, can, can we have a favor? So after taking a deep breath and saying a prayer for patience, it doesn't say that, but, but I think Jesus did it. But I, I'm sure he did it. It says this in verse 37. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. That was, their, that was their request. That was their favor. In other words, Jesus, when you're in your ultimate glory, when you're in your ultimate lordship, when you are the king over all, we know we can't be king, but can we be like the left-hand guy and the right-hand guy and have that honor? Can that be us? Right? Their biggest concern is not what's about to happen to Jesus, their Lord. Their biggest concern at this moment is what's going to happen to them. It's like we said last week, they're not acting like a follower of Jesus, but a consumer 
of Jesus. It's not like, hey, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Like, I'm going to take up my cross like you instructed me to. No, I just want to know what you can get me. Okay. How high up on the food chain, on the pecking order can I get? Right? Jesus looks at them and says, you know what? You're not up to this. You're not up to this, right? Even if, even if I were to say yes, you can't handle it. That's what he's saying. You can't handle being that close to me in all my glory. So he has a little conversation with them. And while Jesus is kind of fending, off, fending them off, look at what happens. Jump down to verse 41 of chapter 10. When the, when the other ten heard about this, right, so the two of the disciples were talking to Jesus, and, and then there were the other ten disciples. So when the other ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Now, to be clear, they were not indignant, like how could you be so insensitive to Jesus, you knuckleheads, right? That's not how they were, were angry, right? He, he was talking, uh, he, here he is talking about being spit on and flogged and beaten and dying, and you just want him to do you a favor, no, they weren't, they weren't angry like that. They were, they were angry because, hey, wait a minute. Right? We want to be on the left and on the right-hand side too. Right? We, we, we don't want to be left out. We want, we want a seat of honor too. Again, right? Not a follower, but a consumer. Not a follower of Jesus, but someone who's just saying, what's in this for me? How can I uh, get something out of this situation? And then the next thing you know, there's like this big old food fight. (laughs) There's a big fight over who gets what. Who gets what. And the 12 disciples are all fighting and arguing over who gets what when Jesus becomes king. And Jesus realizes, okay, you guys have not been paying attention, so he calls a timeout. He says, time out. He blows a whistle before they get to Jerusalem, and he has a team huddle up again. He, he says, hey, grab a knee. We're going to huddle up. We've got to talk through some things. He, he calls them all together. He says, okay, one more time for the people in the back. <laughs> really, one more time for the people in the front, too, because no one seems to be getting this. No one seems to be understanding what I'm saying. That's what Jesus is, is thinking. right? And, and this is a moment where Jesus spells out for them. And for us, what leadership, what leadership is all about in the kingdom of heaven, what leadership is all about when we say we're going to forge our life on God from the top to the bottom and everywhere in between, right? Verse 42 says this, Jesus called them together and said, you know, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Now, I love this picture. Real quick, I love this picture because this is Jesus going back to the basics. Right? This is like Vince Lombardi starting every football season. This is what he did every football season with professional athletes back in the day. He said, this is a football. Right? This is a, that's how he started every season, with the basics. This is a football. This is Jesus doing that. Right? So Jesus says, okay, let me make this simple for you knuckleheads. You know that one plus one equals two. You know how leadership works right now in the world. You know that when someone is in charge, when someone has authority, they leverage that authority. Sometimes when you are in power, you even abuse your power. He's saying it's simple, right? We all know how leadership works. One plus one equals two. That's how you understand leadership in this world. That's what he's saying to his disciples. That's how the world does leadership. Right? The world says you are the leader, so it's all about you. You are on the top. 
There's a clear and distinct pecking order. And the higher you go up, the more rewards you get, the fluffier your feathers get. That is the goal. And all of his disciples are going, right, exactly, yes. That is why we want to be on the right hand and on the left hand side. That's why we want to be in charge. We don't want to be lorded over. We want to do the lording, Jesus. We want to do the pecking, not be pecked. That is why we want to sit on your left hand. That's why we want to sit on your right hand. So we can have authority over people over whom we can have authority over. We want to peck as many people in line behind us. And Jesus smiles and perhaps says this in, in verse 43. Not so with you. <laughs> That's how the world does it, but not so with you. In other words, you know how, how this works. Yep. All right. Not so with you. <laughs> not if you want to forge your life on me. He's saying, live, if you want to live your best life, a life that is forged on me, a life that is following me, not just consuming what I have to offer to you. And so Jesus, in his characteristic way, turns this whole thing completely upside down. And he says, not so for you, in verse 43. Right? For you, one plus one does not equal two anymore in terms of leadership, in all of its contexts whether that's in the corporate world or in the marketplace, in our homes, in our families, in our neighborhoods, right? He says, if you are going to follow me, if you are going to forge your life on me, then you have to lead like I lead. And he explains it like this in verse 43. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you, look at it. All right, look at it in your Bible. Whoever wants to be great among you, because this is important. we got to get this, Foundry Church. It's not so with you. Whoever wants to be great among you, in this context, great, right, means lead, right? Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Must be your servant. Boom, right? Pop goes the balloon of ego right up in their faces, right? Ego is just shot right there. And uh, modern-day Stoic philosopher Ryan Holiday would say, ego is the enemy. Ego is the enemy to leadership in all its context. And Jesus, he continues, because this is who he is, he takes it even deeper, even further with verse 44, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Whoever wants to be first must be slave to all. At which point... At which point, you know that the disciples are like, oh, Jesus, that's not going to work. Oh, right? And a lot of us are the same way. Just be honest, right? A lot of us, we're the same way, me included, right? We hear something like this, we read something like this, and we think where we work, or we think about our context and where we have some influence and some leadership, and we think, oh, it's just not going to work. It's not going to work. It might, you might even be sitting here or watching online today, and you're looking at me, and you're thinking, I hear what you're saying, Andrew. I, I hear what you're saying, but, but please don't tell us that you're going to expect us to do that in today's world, right? In this busy and workaholic and status-driven northern Virginia uh, part of the United States in this part of the world, right? You might be thinking, Andrew, you just don't get it. Right, that probably works great in the church. It probably works great in some kind of religious context, but that doesn't work in the marketplace, and that doesn't work in the real world. 
And I would say, if you're thinking that, if that, those are the thoughts rolling through your mind right now, I would say, okay, but that's why we're peeling this onion, right? That's why we're looking at this, because here, here's the truth, right? If we are going to be a Jesus follower, if we're going to forge our life on him, you cannot just follow Jesus on Sunday. You just can't follow him in the church, right? You can't even just follow Jesus when you're at home or when you're disciplining your kids or, or loving your husband or your wife. If you're going to be a Jesus follower, if you're going to forge your life on him, you have to follow him everywhere. You have to follow him everywhere. Following Jesus, it means that you follow his example, Right? You follow his lead in the marketplace, in the corporate world, in the political world. You follow him in all of your capacities. Right? When Jesus is telling his disciples about uh, being great and being, being the first, being a leader, about being uh, whatever, right? he's telling us as well, Foundry Church. He's telling us as well, he has gathered us in a huddle today, and he has said, right, listen, right, take a knee, huddle up. Let me make this simple for you. You have seen everyone else and what they're doing and how they're leading and how they're striving and how they're working. You're going to be different. You are going to be different everywhere, not just where you like it everywhere. He says, if you're going to follow me, that means you're going to lead like me everywhere. And we are all leaders, no matter our age. Even Lucas and Mateo up here are leaders in some capacity, right? right? Instead of abusing power, instead of lording over, we are going to learn to serve, he says. Instead of, uh, of abusing situations, we're going to learn to give power away and to feed into situations. Instead of creating a pecking order where everyone under us looks like uh, they've been beaten within an inch of their life, no, that's not going to be the case, right? If you're going to follow Jesus, we're going to take care of those people. We're going to take care of them We're going we're gonna to help them. We're going to serve them. We're going to take care of the people under us. There's not going to be a pecking order. Now, real quick, let me zoom out. To be clear, Jesus is not saying, um, let, let's just talk real quick about what Jesus is not saying. Right? Jesus is not saying, or he's not saying he's against point leadership. Let me, let me explain, right? You know, the one guy at the top with people uh, below him, the traditional leadership model in organizations and churches all around the world and families across the world, right? He's not arguing against that because, look, all right, he was the point leader, wasn't he? Right? He was the point leader, and he appointed uh, some leaders under him who then appointed other leaders under them, and it was quite successful, Right, I mean, we're still talking about them today and still a part of his church, right? right? So he's not against that. Jesus is not saying that you just need to stand at the door with everybody else and say, no, you first, no, you first, no, you first, right? That's not what he's saying, right? Jesus didn't do that. Right? If, we did, if we did that, we would never get anything done. And Jesus got an extraordinary amount of things done, and so did his followers, right? We're, we're still here, <laughs> and so he, here's what he's saying, right? Take, take a look, and I want you to get this. This is the whole point of this thing today. When we have authority, we are to leverage our authority for the benefit of those under our authority. 
That's the point of spiritual leadership. That's what we're called to do. And we are all leaders, again, in every sphere, in every context. We are all leaders in some way or another. Whether you're, you're taking classes at Lake Braddock High School or, or if you're going to preschool somewhere or if you're working with the government somewhere. We're all leaders, right? When we have authority, we are to leverage our authority for the benefit of those under our authority. That's it. All right, when we have authority, we are to leverage our authority for the sake of those under our authority, whether it is at home, in the marketplace, in the community, in the nonprofit world, in the for-profit world. If you are somebody who carries responsibility for other people, if you have any kind of authority, if you are in any kind of position with leadership responsibility, your Savior your Savior, Jesus, our Lord, has called you to lead in such a way that people know that we are there for them. That we are there for them, that we have their back, that they are not there for us. That we are there for them. Man, this is a game changer, Foundry. This is a game changer. It's life changing. This is the hallmark of great leadership. Right, Henry... Henry um, Henry Nouwen, a Dutch Catholic priest and one of my favorite theologians, said it like this. He said, I am deeply convinced that, this, that the, the Christian leader of the future is called to be completely irrelevant and to stand in this world with nothing to offer but his or her own vulnerable self. That is the way Jesus came to reveal God's love. Simple. Nothing to offer but Jesus through us. Right, Henry Nowen is saying, and what Jesus is saying is that a true Christian leader knows that the greatest thing that we can ever do as a leader is to humbly, with open hands, stand before those who are called to lead, that we are called to lead, and ask one question. We can ask one question, and that question is, is how can I serve you? How can I serve you? How, how can I help you? What can I do? Right? Because when you ask, what can I do to help? How can I serve? Essentially, you're asking this question. How can I loan you the gifts God has given me? God has placed something in me. We're all part of the body of Christ. How can I loan you those gifts? How can those gifts help you and serve you? Right? When we lead as Jesus led, we ask, how can I bring my resources? How can I bring my authority? How can I bring all the things that God has placed in my control and influence, the things that he's called me to shepherd and steward? How can I bring those to serve you, to serve my brother, to serve my sister, to serve each other? How simple is that? I mean, really think about it. How simple is that, Right? You see that that's the gospel, is it not? Right? What, what can I do to serve? How can I use what I have to impact you and to help you? That's the gospel. That's what we've been talking about the last few weeks. Right? The, that's what Jesus has done for us. Right? This, this, is, this is God in some kind of cosmic, weird way looking down on our sin-filled world and our broken world asking the question of himself. 
He's asking this question, what can I do to help? How can I serve? Because they, because they can't fix it. They can't fix it. What can I do, right? God looked down on us and said, they are a mess. They need my help. What can I do to help? How do I loan who I am to who they are? How do I loan what I have to their need? What can I do to serve? And once he answered the question, what did he do? He helped. He served. Right, listen. Listen to what it says at the end of our passage today. Look in your Bibles there, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am not asking you to do anything. You, Founder Church, you. I'm not asking anybody to do anything that I haven't already done is what he's saying. And how far did he take it? Losing a bonus here or there, sharing profits, giving someone else credit for an idea. No. <laughs> he went further. He asked, how can I serve? And he gave up his life. He gave up his life. Right, you see, the story goes like this, right? right listen, this is the, the structure of this whole thing. It goes like this. There is us and there is God. That's the story. That's the gospel. There is us and there is God. But the problem is, the Bible tells us that the first human beings, a couple named Adam and Eve, disobeyed God. Right? They disobeyed God. Now, the Bible, they calls it sin or the great fall. And what it is is separation from God. Right? Sin literally means missing the mark. It's an archery term. You've heard me explain that before. Sin is just an archery term. It means you missed the bullseye. You shot your arrow, you didn't hit the target. That's what sin is. There's a separation between your arrow and where it should be, the bullseye. And that bullseye for us, mankind, is God. Forging our life on him, right? To be a follower of him, not a consumer or what he can give us, like we've been talking about through this series of sermons, right? So when, when, when this happened, Right? When, when Adam and Eve missed the bullseye and sinned, it created a separation between us and God. It created a separation. The separation exists not because God hates us or is mad at us. It's just that God is perfect. Right? And he can't be amongst sin. Right? He doesn't miss the mark. He always hits the bullseye. Right? And to be honest, would we want to forge our life on a God who does miss the mark? No, absolutely not, right? We want a God who hits the bullseye, right? <laughs> and so the gospel, the story of God, it continues, right? The way that he served us, right? Every human being since Adam and Eve has disobeyed God. And most of us, we are aware of this separation and the mistakes that we've made so we assume that we can make it better, so we try to do things to get back to God. We try to do things to close the gap. But the Bible tells us that there is nothing we can do to get across that gap. There's nothing. We can't jump. We can't run fast and, like, Superman dive. We just can't do it. We can't build a ladder. We can't, we can't build a bridge. We just can't get across. Right? The Bible tells us there's nothing. We just can't say we're going to work harder that we're going to go to church more, we're going to stop cussing, we're going to repay the money we took, not how it works. Right? Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned, all have fallen short, all have missed the mark, 
and fall short of the glory of God. Right? We can't get across the gap. In fact, we've made it bigger. When we miss the mark, we make the gap bigger. Right? When we don't hit the bullseye, we make it bigger. And I get it. It stinks. It's awful. It really does. It's terrible. And it gets even worse. It gets even worse. Right? Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin, because we've added to the gap by missing the mark, the wages of that, the, the penalty for that is death. Death sentence. Right? The Bible tells us that sin must be punished, that the punishment is death or eternal separation from God, eternal life in hell, away from God, a life on the wrong side of the gap. Now, I hate to admit this, but it's the truth. It's the truth. We're separated. And again, I get it. This whole thing stinks really, really bad. Listen, Christina, yesterday... And we, uh, we took home some of those ice cream sandwiches from that food truck. And she dropped mine on the stairs going up to our apartment. <sighs> this is worse than that. It's worse than that, right? The, the sin thing and death penalty, right? Worst case scenario. But listen, it doesn't stop here. Jesus came and he served. He said, what can I do to help? God wants us to be free from hell. He wants us to be free from sin that separates us and him. And man, I love this. I love this. I love this. He wants us to be free to live with him for all of eternity and not to be a consumer of just the things that he has to offer, but to be a follower of his. And so what does he do? He provides us a way to restore our relationship with him, to close that gap. He said, what can I do to help? How can I serve? God wants us so bad to be free to forge our life on him that he became human in Jesus, God, the son, and he died on the cross for us. This week, Friday, Good Friday, right? He paid the penalty that we could not pay. He crossed the gap of separation that we could not cross. Jesus died in our place. His death on the cross paid the penalty for our sins, for us missing the bullseye. And look at what it does. Look at what it does. Right, The cross is the bridge that gets us across the gap and restores our relationship with God. It blocks out hell, that eternal gap, that eternal separation from him. Now, look, let me be honest here. It's not enough just to know that. It's not enough just to know that, right? You can't just have it up here in your head. You've got to get it down into your heart. You've got to get it even down into your gut, into your soul, right? You've got to feel it, right? And that's what free will is. You got to get it down here. You got to own it. And we do that by responding with some action. We, we hear the gospel. I just said it. We hear the gospel, the story of separation and Jesus coming to close the gap with his death on the cross. And then we have to believe the gospel. We just can't hear it and know it. We got to believe it. Right? John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For this is how God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So we, we heard it, we believe it, and then the Bible tells us to repent and confess. 
Acts chapter 3, verse 19, it says this. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Repent from the separation that we made. Repent from the dirt that we got on us because we missed the mark and shot our arrow into the mud. Repent from that. And repenting is simply saying, God, I've been doing things my way. I've been forging my life on myself and not on you. And so I'm going to Forge my life on you. It's confessing that we cannot live our best life on our own, that we have to live a life that is forged on him. Right? You repent from your old way of living, adding to the gap by missing the mark, and you confess that you want Jesus to be your Lord, that you want to accept his free gift of grace and his, his way of life, and that you accept his salvation, that you want to call him Savior, you want to call him Lord. And you do that... Right? And then you do what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, baptism, where it says each one of you must repent of your sins right, and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is living a life of action, a life forged. Right? This is why we're celebrating baptisms on Easter Sunday. When Jesus came out of the grave, right, for, for us, this is not something to do at our own convenience. This is a commitment. It's not a chance just to go swimming. Baptism is not just a chance to go swimming at church, right, to, to play back there in the baptistry. It's a chance to meet Jesus in the tomb of water, buried, covered buried in the tomb of water and come alive to new life and to say, I believe Jesus is my Lord. I accept his grace. I believe and I will live life for God and God alone. I will lead like he does. I will influence people because of that leadership for his kingdom and for his glory and for his honor. Right? I will live for him all the days of, of my life here on earth and for all of eternity with him in heaven. So what we're going to do is we're going to worship. We're going to have the band come back up. And we're going to sing to our amazing God. And if you have not finished this loop, you know, hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, baptism, now is the time. There's cards floating around on the chairs. Fill that out. Give it to me after the service. If you've got questions, you click that. We can talk about it. I'll be up here hanging out. Do this. Don't let time pass. Do this. You can do it today if you want. We have swimsuits and T-shirts. The water's a little cold. But we can do it today. Continue, right? If you've done that, continue to commit yourself to be a follower, not a fan, to lead like Jesus, to be a servant, to honor all of him, and to give him glory. So if this is something that you're feeling called to do, fill that card out. Come talk to me. Let's do it. Let's get you ready. Let's do this. Let's stand and continue to worship as we think about these decisions. <laughs>